This is the uh, second installment. We're, we're talking about um, the signs God gives us this, this, uh, in this sermon series. And uh, last week we talked about communion, and, and we talked about um, um, you know, the ways that God pointed toward what Jesus did on the cross. And um, I, I kind of picked up on this sermon. How many of you guys watch the news? Um, or read the news on the internet since nobody actually watches the news now? Um, I, I, I'm kind of finding myself in the spot where as I watch, um, as I watch the news or I'm reading about, um, like, I think it was two days ago in, in Egypt, there was, there was actually a group of Coptic Christians, that, there were 70 of them in a church building, the, the building was, was at hack, and, and the people held at gunpoint for several hours. Um, and and um, it's just a time of a lot of persecution and a lot of, a lot of difficulty and a lot of, um, a lot of real strain. And, and it seems like there are parts of our country and parts of our world that are, that are going off the rails. I mean, do you guys, am I the only one who feels that way sometimes? Um, and, and there are times I, I sit and I watch and think, God, could you just do something? You know, like reach in and, and shake these people up a little bit or, or stick your head into the world and yell at some folks or, or um, you know, do something. And, and sometimes we look for a sign and, and we want God to act. Um, and, and sometimes he does in, in terrific ways. Um, we, we talked about that a bit this morning with some help uh, things and, and, and whatnot. And, uh, I'm sure a lot of y'all have experienced that where God has like stepped into your world and done something awesome. And, and sometimes it seems like he's quiet. And you think, well, where are you? Can you do something? Come on. <laughs> and, and what we're looking at right now is the consistent signs God gives us. Um, and actually, we're going to detour right out of the gate, and we're going to look at Leviticus, and, and half the room says, oh my gosh, a Leviticus sermon, no. Um, <laughs> this is actually from the, from the table of the law, and this is, um, this is out of uh, Leviticus 11, actually, is, all, is a collection of dietary restrictions. This is, this is uh, what you may and may not eat if you are Jewish, right? And... Um, it's actually sort of interesting. We're going to talk about this a little bit. We're going to talk about one of the other laws from the Old Testament. And, and um, this is one of those laws that you read it and you think, why on earth would that even be a law? Um, and actually, I, I talk to non-believers quite a bit. I, I'm surprised how much I do that. Um, and and um, one of the things I hear is, well, look, there are all these laws in the Bible and you don't follow any of them. And, and they say, what about these food laws, Right? And, and, you know, you don't follow those. Why is it that you follow, you know, don't follow those, but you think we should follow others? And, and so we're going to talk about this, this food law, right? Like, why on earth? And, and for Jews, there were a bunch of things they couldn't eat, right? They weren't allowed to eat, uh, they could eat cows, because cows are great, right? Steak is good. Um, I, I know my audience. Um, but they couldn't eat pork, right? And, and the dirties aren't here, so I can say, you know, pork's bad, it's unclean. Um, and, and, you know, like, like the reason being that, that um, the hoof of the pig is cut in half, right? They've got a split hoof. And anything that had a hoof that was cut in half, you, you couldn't eat it, right? And, and there are all of these rules. And, and it's, it's one of those things that if people have looked at it, like theologians, they said, well, maybe they couldn't eat pigs because they were ugly, right? I don't consider pigs attractive. Um <laughs> <laughs> I didn't come up with this theory, thank you. <laughs> I, yeah, um, anyway. Um, and actually, the cud chewing was another one. They said, well, maybe it's because of the, like, cows chew cud, and that is mentioned in the law. Um, and, and they say, well, the chewing the cud is like a condom, you know, you, 
like chewing over ideas, and which is kind of a crazy thing. Like, and then some people would say, well, look, some of the animals that are unclean had diseases associated with them. Like, you weren't allowed to eat birds that ate dead animals, um, like crows or vultures or, or whatever. Um, and, and, you know, they said, well, well, maybe it's because they pick up diseases and pork has diseases and, um, uh, and whatnot. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of offer, offer a perspective on this, right? Um, and we're going to do it based on, the, on the, the fish thing, right? And this is from 9 to 12. Um, these you may eat, whatever is in the water, all that have fins and scales, those in the water, in the seas, or on the rivers, you may eat. Okay, so trout. Is trout in? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they have scales, and they have fins, and they have whiskers, which aren't mentioned, but they live in water. You know, and so they're, they're okay. Um, bass, bass are okay. Carp, if anybody eats those for any reason at all, um, they're good. Catfish? Yeah. No. Do catfish have scales? No, they don't. They have skin. So they, like, like under the kosher laws, in order to remain clean, you weren't allowed to eat catfish. Um, and, and then another one would be um, um, lobster, right? Lobster, they live in the water, but they're basically giant critters, right? Like they walk and they, I, I don't know, do they have gills? Or something, they, they breathe underwater and you couldn't eat lobster. Um, anyway, keep going here. Um, Sorry, I lost my spot. But whatever's in the season, in the rivers, that does not have fins and scales amongst all the teeming life of the water and among all the living creatures that are in the water, they are detestable things to you, and they shall be abhorrent to you. You may not eat their flesh, and their carcasses you shall detest. Whatever is in the water and does not have fins and scales are abhorrent to you. Okay, so not only do you not eat it, you stay away from it, right? And this seems a little puzzling. Doesn't it? I mean, it almost seems arbitrary. Especially if you've ever eaten like shrimp. Because it's really good. And you think, well, why would God not let them eat this? You know, and, and, and a lot of folks will say, well, that's just silly. Um, when we look at the Jewish people, one of the biggest challenges the Jewish people had was they were supposed to be different from everyone else. God said, okay, you people, you're my people. Okay? Other folks, they worship false gods. Other, other folks, they, you know, commit kind of crazy sins. You're not like them. I'm going to set you apart to be special, right? And, like, I always compare it to marriage, right? My wife, you know, we've been married forever, um, and, and she's special, right? You know, she's set apart for me, and I don't share her with anyone, right? You know, anybody can kiss anyone they want, Jessica is set apart for me, and she kisses me and maybe the kids, but that's only if I feel generous. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, because she's set apart. She's different. And so what God expected out of his people, he said, look, you guys are going to live in the world, but you're not going to be like everyone else. You're set apart. You're different. Um, don't stand in both sides. <laughs> don't think, oh, well, I'm going to be different on these things, but on this stuff, we're going to be just like you guys. And this ends up being a problem, in fact, because later on, the, the Hebrews, like you see it with Solomon, Solomon was told, you know, like, like Solomon knew, you only worship God, and he was, he was all of a sudden, he'd bring in these wives, and he had a lot of wives, because, I don't know, he was probably crazy, um, or he was eventually, if he had that many wives, thousand or something like that, um, 
and, and his wives were from other countries, and they brought their idols with them. And they said, well, I want to worship my gods from Egypt. And King Solomon says, well, okay, you can do it, but you can't do it in here. You've got to build your own temple somewhere else. And so he says, well, we'll let a little bit of the world come into our world. You know, it's okay, just bring a little of it out. But, you know, we're not going to do it, but we're going to allow it, we're going to stand near it. Before you know it, Solomon's going with, the, with his wives to worship, because wives can pester quite well. Not mine, she's perfect. But some wives I've heard on TV um, can do that. And, and so, like, like, what happens is, if you allow yourself to stand in two places at the same time, you, you're not set apart. Does that make sense? Um, what we see in these animal laws, right, um, the animals were divided into specific categories. And you were allowed to eat the ones that were in specific categories. If the animal was in two categories, you couldn't eat it, right? Now think about lobsters for a second. Lobsters live underwater, breathe underwater. They are fish, right? We can call them shellfish, right? They're not specifically fish, but if you were going to, like, classify everything in the water. Lobsters count as everything in the water. Make sense? But they're everything in the water with legs. So they're fish, but they're not fish. Does that make sense? So part of what God is doing here is God is saying, look, this rule, you're going to obey it, not because it's like this moral thing, but it's a reminder. You're going to obey this law as a reminder that you are set apart. And if you even try to eat things that aren't set apart, that's not okay. You know, because we want you to remember, you are not like them. Everybody with me? And so, like, like if you look at the laws, there are several categories of laws in the Old Testament. Um, the major thing that's going on with the laws, um, the, the ceremonial laws, is they point to truths about God. And one of the major truths over and over and over again in the Old Testament is you are set apart you die to that life. You are not a part of those people. This, the sinful part of you, you're going to put it away. Right? Uh, the other big ceremonial law is uh, circumcision. If you don't know what that is, ask your moms and dads when you get home. Or Mark when you get home. <laughs> He's the only one with kids here, Abby. Anyway. <laughs> um, circumcision um, for the Jewish people, right? You were eight days old, and if you were eight days old, the eighth day you were circumcised. And at that point, you were a part of the covenant, right? And, and people will look at it, and actually there's a movement in California to make circumcision illegal. Isn't that kind of crazy? Um, and, and the reason they say, well, there's no point. Well, there is a point. And the point isn't about health, it's not about this, it's not about that. The point of circumcision in the Old Testament is, um, it's cutting off, like, a part of you and putting it away. And this is what God did with his people. He said, look, you're like everyone else, but I'm setting you apart, and you're going to put away this other part of you. It's no more, right? Um, this, this part of you is, is, is cut off and gone. The part of you that makes you like everyone else. And so when you were circumcised, if you were a man, you had this perpetual reminder, right? Okay, sorry, I... Um, Filter is on, I'm being careful. Um, yeah, this forever reminder, I am not like them because God has cut me off from the world and I belong to Him. Only Him. And so, like, like a lot of the things that would happen in the Old Testament as a part of the, the contract agreement between God and His people was to remind them, You're my people. 
and you stay faithful to me, and you stay separate from the world. You don't like like go around with other gods. You don't go around with other guys. You you, you belong to me. Um, and it was supposed to be a loving relationship. It's not possession. It's God says, "I love you, and I love you exclusively." Everybody with me? Everybody still away? Actually, um, did I lose my note page or did I? Anyway. Um, we're going to jump ahead to Colossians 2. If you're following along in your Bible, this would be the time to jump ahead to the Colossians 2. Um, this is, uh, we're going to look at 6 to 14, and we're actually going to start just 6 to 7, real easy. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted, and now being built up in Him, and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. Okay, so Paul starts out, a big part of this letter is dealing with false teachings that the Colossians are dealing with, right? There are guys who come into their church and they're saying, hey, you need to be circumcised to go to heaven. You need to believe these things to go to heaven. You need to be perfect and follow the law perfectly. And if you break the law at all, you're going to hell. And you need to be just as awesome as us, you know, and be super Christians just like us. And, and Paul is writing against this kind of thing, right? He says, look, you've received Christ Jesus as your Lord. So like... Like, Jesus, God's Son, has saved you, and you've received that forgiveness. Like, it's on you, right? And so, as you've received it, live in it. Like, set down roots in it. Um, I have trees in my yard that, that I kind of wish weren't there. And they're really tough to get rid of, because you can't just tie a chain to it and tie it to the back of your truck and drive off. Right? Why not? Your roots, right? And, and I have a, a Ford Ranger. It won't pull a tree out of the ground. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, if I had a Chevy, I'd tie a chain to the tree into the truck and the truck would hang itself. I know. Um, <laughs> I was actually set that up. I thought that out ahead of time. And so you're supposed to set down roots in Jesus so you don't get dragged off, right? Set down your roots and get strong in it. Because if you don't, um, folks will come along and they'll trick you into going somewhere else. Everybody with me? Um, so we move on. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. And so Paul warns, don't let these people chain you up and drag you off, right? Don't let it happen. Don't let it happen. Um, why? Because um, if you do, you can be dragged out of Christ. If you want to remain in your faith, right? And if you allow yourself to be deceived, you get pulled out of it. And that ain't what we want. Um, so we move on. 9 to 10. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. We're going to pause there. So he says, listen, Jesus, right? All the fullness of, of God himself, um, meaning that Jesus was fully God. So he is this man who is God. Right? And so he points to this as the reason you ought to pay attention. Why? Because he's God, right? Like if God says something, you ought to listen. Make sense? You know, like Abby this morning um, was playing, and I had all the church doors open trying to cool the place down, and it didn't feel like it at the moment, but I was trying to cool the building down, and Abby um, wanted to go and run outside, and I told her, and I used my dad's serious voice, I said, Abby, you don't leave this room. And so she sat down, and she cried, like I had spanked her, right? But she didn't leave the room. Why? Because she knew I meant it, right? 
Because when dad says something, you obey until mom's around, and then you ask mom. Um, <laughs> it's true. Um, <laughs> and, and so, like, because of the fullness of deity, this is your option, right? Like, you can, you can do anything you want, but if God himself stepped in the world to be close to you, take it seriously. Uh, he goes on, and in him you have been made complete. So, when we live in Christ, right? In Christ means following him. And he uses this phrase over and over again. In Christ. When we are in Christ, we're living according to his teachings. We have faith that he saves us. We live a life where we belong to him. Does that make sense? Um, it's the difference between saying, I'm a Christian and I'm in Christ. If I say, I and an, and, excuse me, I am an MMA cage fighter. <laughs> I, I compete on world level with cage fighting, and I'm in training for my next fight. That's why I eat donuts for breakfast. Um, so I'm not eating well, right? So I'm not really in training. I don't exercise, unless the walk from the couch to the fridge counts. Does it? No. So I'm not really in training. Um, I don't fight, except for with my wife occasionally. That was a joke, too. I never fight with my wife. Um, <laughs> I don't fight anyone, and I don't even have a cage, right? So am I a, am I a world-class cage fighter? No. If I'm going to be a world-class cage fighter, I should probably own a cage, and I should probably practice fighting, I should probably eat well, and I should probably exercise. And I should actually probably be in the MMA. That counts too, right? Like, in Christ means you're in this training. You're living your life a certain way. Christ has forgiven you. You belong to him. You, it's taking up a certain position. Everybody with me? So we say, listen, if you are in Christ, you've been made complete. What does that mean? It means you're made the way God meant you to be. Uh, the part of you that, that's wicked has been cut off and put away. Right? It's gone. Um, hey, look at that. That law in the Old Testament pointed forward to a reality in the world we live in, right? In Christ, our wicked, sinful self is cut off and put away. is head over all. He is the head over all and authority, meaning that like, if I'm in Christ, I've been made complete. Jesus is my boss. Right? I'm going to move on. 11 to 12. This is the hard part. And my, my anyway, um, and in him you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hand in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up, with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. I read the whole thing in one chunk because it's important. There are three parts to this, okay? Um, the first part is the circumcision, right? In the Old Testament, you were circumcised to say, I'm set apart from everyone else. I'm taken away from the evil part of the world, and that evil part of the world is gone, and I'm set apart. And I have this perpetual sign that points, I have this perpetual sign that reminds me that, that I'm set apart. <laughs> that I, I, I have this water, I'm sorry, my mouth's getting dry. I have this um, perpetual sign that points me toward Christ. <laughs> I, so my circumstance, I'm cut off, I'm set apart, I'm different. That was the Old Testament, right? Everybody? <laughs> <laughs> so this sign in the Old Testament 
this sign told about something in particular. I love visiting the Mitzes, and it's not any like the on her. She has signs hanging around her house, right? That, are they still there? That remind her to diet, right? And those signs say, you know, things like, hey, it's not fun right now, but it'll be worth it eventually, right? It's miserable now, but it'll be worth it. Those signs tell her how to live. In the Old Testament, circumcision said, you're set apart, you're set apart, you're set apart, be different than everyone else. Um, we come to understand in the New Testament what Paul is talking about here, right? First thing, um, the flesh is cut off from us. Um, well, this is a reference to Jesus, who is in the flesh, right? Jesus was God and man, like complete together. And Jesus was killed, like the physical part of him was, was arrested, beaten, tried illegally, um, and nailed to a piece of wood where he, he slowly bled and, 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 and suffocated, and he died about six hours later, right? His flesh was cut off from him. It was killed. In Jesus, if I am in Jesus, I am spiritually circumcised, which means that in my heart, the part of me that was wicked and evil dies with him on the cross, right? Dead, gone forever. So, like, I'm in Christ, and because I'm in Christ, the old wicked man that I was, the man that has all kinds of debt to God and my sin, is dead and gone. Um, so that's death. What are we, after death comes, yeah. right? Um, now, for the Jewish people, whenever you see references to water, like the ocean, or the sea, or rivers, it's often associated symbolically with death, right? Because water is chaotic. If I stand by a river, is the river the same five minutes after I stood there? Like, if I walk through a river, is it the same river? Well, sorry, yeah, but mostly no, because the water keeps moving. It's different water, right? Um, and so, like, for, for them, if you read water, you read death. For the Jews, like, when, when Paul says, look, you're buried. Um, when we come to believe in Christ, we're commanded to be baptized, right? And baptism is this rite where they take you and they put you under water. That's the first half, right? And it's, it points us to this death that we have and this burial. So I'm circumcised in my heart, right? Which is why we're not circumcised now, by the way. Like, not according to God's law. We don't have to be. Um, because it was symbolic of something that now takes place. So we don't need that symbol anymore. Now we have, um, in Christ I die, and I'm buried in baptism, put under the water. And they don't generally leave you there for that long, right? Because it, it tends to end badly. Um, and so they bring you up out of the water, and you're resurrected from the dead. Um, and it points backward to something that Christ did for us, right? So Jesus, God's Son, comes to earth, tortured to death, putting put in a tomb, and three days later he rises again, right? And demonstrates, by the way, that there's hope. Um, the resurrection is something we don't always emphasize because we talk about the forgiveness of sins at the cross. Um, because Jesus rose from the dead, we know that's not the end. It's proof that people come back. Death is a way station on the way to heaven, right? And in the end, everyone will be resurrected physically. What the scriptures say. And so, like, our baptism, right, is this sign that God has given us that is this, this winking sign that says, hey, part of you died with Christ. You were buried in Christ. And when you 
came out, you were a new man or woman in Christ. And you start over, period. Like, everything is gone from the past, and you're a new you in Christ. Everybody with me? Um, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised up through him, through faith, in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. I want to emphasize one little bit there, right? In faith. Through faith. Um, how hard do you have to work to be saved? Not at all. You have faith, and that's what saves you, right? Faith saves you. I have faith in Christ, and so I'm saved. Well, don't I have to be good? Well, you know what? Honestly, um, to be alive, I have to breathe. My heart has to beat. I have to eat sometimes. And I, I think there's some other things in there, I'm sure, right? I have to be nice to my wife, or I won't live very long. Um, and, and so to be alive, I have to do these things. Well, being good is just a part of being alive in Christ. I may have to put some effort into it sometimes, but I have to work hard to breathe sometimes, right? Um, you know, those days that I walk from the couch to the fridge, it wears me out and i got to breathe hard. Um, <laughs> especially if there's only three commercials and i got to really hustle. Um, <laughs> and I get back to the couch and I'm... <sighs> sometimes it's work. Sometimes it's work to be good. Sometimes it's work to follow Christ, right? But it is a natural product of being alive, and that comes in faith. If I know Jesus saves me, if I know Jesus killed off this old part of me, if I know that I'm made new, and on the day I breathe my last breath, because it's going to happen, it's going to happen to all y'all, it's going to happen to everyone, on the day I breathe my last breath, I know I'll live on in heaven. I know there's a resurrection coming. Um, baptism is the perpetual reminder of that. It is this sign that God has given us that I can look at and say, hey, I remember being baptized. And I know I died and I was raised again in Christ. And one day when I physically die, I will be raised again in Christ. Um, it's the sign God offers us to reassure us over and over again of a reality that happens in our heart. Um, and honestly, it's better than any miracle or any cheap trick that some like TV evangelists might play. It's the best thing you can have. Because it's something that happened in your heart. It's something that's real. And it's something that's forever. Um, when you were dead in your transgressions, this is 13 to 14, and uncircumcised in your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So Paul goes on, he says, look, you were dead, and now you're alive. You had debt. That debt was nailed to the cross of Jesus. And actually what the scriptures tell us is that God looked at Christ on the cross and what he saw wasn't Jesus. He saw my sin. And he poured all his wrath out on my sin. Um, which is done for me. Um, and the only cost of it is faith. Right? And then faith makes us alive and the new life we have is in him. Um, I, how would we apply this? Well, how many of y'all have struggled in the last week? I mean, honestly. How many of y'all have looked up and said, God, really? <laughs> really this too? Or said, all right, God, where are you? Can you come and fix this for me? I mean, God doesn't always move fast, right? God doesn't always shout at us. Sometimes he does, right? Sometimes he does. But sometimes he's just quiet and you think, come on. In those days, we have a sign that we, we all experience, right? Or if you haven't experienced, this is a part of you know, following God. It's this 
sign that points to reality in your heart um, and in your life. And so if you haven't been baptized, come and visit with me and we'll talk about it. But baptism is a thing that points us in that direction. I am dead to my old life. I'm made new after being buried. As you go out of here, my challenge for you is to live lives that, that shout this to the people around you. Live lives that, that exemplify your baptism to, to everyone you encounter. So when people look at you, they say, that guy is different. Right? That guy ain't the same guy I knew you know, years ago. What happened? Um, and you say, well, died, I was buried, I'm alive again. Let me tell you how it happened. <laughs> I'm going to call Larry Core to do one more song. And we're going to pray. And, and as we pray, I, for those of y'all who are struggling this morning, for those of y'all who have extra weight to carry with you, for those of y'all who, who maybe are looking to God to, to um, offer you something, um, my challenge is to look, look at what he's done for you. Look at the sign that he's given you that you've been made new. Tremendous grace that comes with that. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, be with us this morning. And as we go forth from this place, I pray that you would um, help us to live as people who are, are made alive again from our past life. And that we would leave everything in the, in the grave behind us that, that would drag us down and that would, would uh, crush our souls, Lord. I pray that you would, would uh, give us freedom and a light yoke to, to live by. In Christ's name. Amen. Mm-hmm.